Welcome to Stage Directions. I'm Ashley Griffin, your theatrical Hermione Granger, and I'm so excited today to be chatting with the amazing Broadway composer, writer, and all-around brilliant creative, Joe Iconis. So hi, Joe Iconis. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm a huge fan of yours, and this is the first time we're officially meeting. We've sort of virtually met through the article that I wrote for um, American Theatre Magazine. Um, but thank you so much. How are you doing? What's going on? What's new? I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I'm in, um, I'm in Manhattan right mm -hmm. now. I'm in a rehearsal studio. And uh, yeah, I'm, I have a show that's running on Long Island that I have an album coming out soon. And so uh, things are good, if a little, a little crazy, you know, because yeah. of the times we're living in. <laughs> How has that all been coming out of the pandemic and still dealing with the pandemic um, with all of your projects? Um, it's, you know, it's been okay. I, I consider myself very lucky because I, I have had things that I'm, working on you know I've had things that are active that are kind of out in the world um but but still it's really just a pain in the ass like it's there's there's nothing fun about it there's nothing there's nothing good about it I um I'm just so over all of it and so I'm I feel like myself and the people I work with are just like doing whatever we can to you know get to the next day but I'll be really excited once we're once we're past this I mean, the nice thing about being a writer is it's kind of one of the only theatrical professions that you can do on your own in your house, that you don't have to have other people there to physically do it. But there sort of comes a point in the development process where that you can't really do that much. anymore. I mean, I know for me, I had a show that was supposed to open off Broadway fall of 2020, and I've just been in a holding pattern with that for the entire pandemic and just waiting to for things to move forward and whatnot. So yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's such a killer. And you know, it's and what's so you know annoying about it is that it's you know writing musical theater is hard enough anyway like it's you know what we do and sort of in the sort of being in musical theater it's like it's a it's a challenging life you know under the best of circumstances and then this you know monkey wrench thrown into it is just uh it's it's really it's really a lot but yeah we're getting through we're getting through yeah. i see the light so most people at this particular moment in time probably know you best for be more chill um, but mm -hmm. you've been doing this very successfully for a while, and you graduated from NYU for your um, undergrad and your master's, right? I did. Yeah. What did you, how, how, tell me a little bit about your, your history and your story. How did you get into doing this? Where did you grow up? Um, how did you end up at NYU? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up on Long Island mm -hmm. in uh, Nassau County, Garden City is the name of the town I grew up in. Very sort of, uh, you know, traditional middle-class suburbia kind of vibe. I have a big, big Italian family. No one is in the arts at all, at all, at all. No one is in entertainment. I was definitely like the weirdo mm -hmm. in my family. I saw the original production of Little Shop of Horrors on September 27th, 1987 for my wow. sixth birthday. And um, it, it immediately infused me with the love of musical theater. And I, I'd sort of been like, I'd been kind of like, Un, 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 you know, unaware, uh, but I've been, the universe had sort of, I think, been prepping me to love musical theater because I really loved the Muppets when I was a little kid. And I love the movie Muppets Take Manhattan, which is all about the Muppets, you know, making a Broadway musical. And, and I, I, I sort of had, I, I was obsessed with Michael Jackson and Thriller and like there were these sort of musical theater things that were floating around me. Uh, but Little Shop was really the first time I sat in the theater and, and watched the story play out with music. And it honestly just, it changed my, it, it, it's more extreme than changing my life. It just, it formed me as a, as a being, you know, and it, it wasn't, and I, I love Little Shop, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the, the actual show itself, which, you know, and I, and I, I loved it and still do, but it was like the, the art form of musical theater that I immediately was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And so then the older I got, uh, you know, I was, I, I just became obsessed with, with, with musicals and with theater in general. And I was always like the only kid who ever took out like, you know, the biography of Stephen Sondheim from the local library. And like, I just, you know, I, I, I read all I could and, and learned all I could about, about musicals. And when I was really small, I was in shows because that's the only way that you can participate if you're like, you know, a kid of a certain age. 
I still wish that there were some programs for young people and children where they could do directing and writing and tech theater and stuff because so many people that I know grew up thinking they wanted to be performers. And then when they got to college, discovered they actually had a passion for something totally different in the theater. And it's because they'd never had an opportunity to explore anything besides performing. Well, yeah. And of course, because why would anyone, unless you happen to be like born into a family, that's a theater family. How would any, any person know that, oh yeah, there's all of these other things that you can do in the theater. Um, And so, and so, you know, because I, and for me, even though, like I said, my family wasn't in the arts or anything, I was so lucky because I had a family that was so supportive of me. And even though they didn't fully understand what I wanted to do, they were totally behind me. And so I was able to like figure out, oh, there are people who write these things and know that's what I want to do. And um, yeah, and so I uh, sort of, um, uh, so that was all kind of happening with me as I was a young person, you know, sort of uh, careening towards middle school. And the other thing that was happening with me was that I was taking piano lessons from a neighborhood piano teacher, Mrs. Jablonski. I really hated it. I was not good at piano. I was not a good practicer. Uh, but the more I got into theater, the more I started sort of like going home and playing tunes by ear. And the more I started making up songs and everything. And so then I became this like little kid who was a really amazing piano player, basically just sort of playing by ear and improvising and doing that whole thing. And so then that's when I started like writing music and 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 I, I realized, oh, I wanted to write scores for, for musicals. And that's what I wanted to do from the time I was very young. And I went to NYU uh, Steinhardt, the music composition department. And that was the first time I ever had any kind of like proper, you know, training or any kind of proper, you know, music writing guidance. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And then I went on to the NYU graduate musical theater writing program, mm-hmm. uh, which is an amazing program that uh, that many cool people have have come out of and many cool people are professors there uh, like Michael John Lacusa and Sybil Pearson and Bill Finn. And so I got to, you know, create musical theater for real for the first time amongst all of these really incredible artists who I'd idolized my whole life. I went to NYU too. Um, I went to the undergraduate drama department, but I would, um, I got permission to audit classes in the grad musical theater writing program. So I was this little undergrad that would kind of not sneak in. I had permission, but would kind of sneak in and sit and watch (laughs) all of the classes. What did you think of the training that you got at NYU in both of the programs? The training, so my undergrad, you know, my undergrad, the the training was great. It just wasn't totally what I wanted to do. So the training that I received as an undergrad, and the program has changed quite a bit since I went there, it was very geared towards classical composition. And it was like basically everyone who was there wanted to write classical music. And then there was like a few people who wanted to write film scores. And I was the only person who was like, I'm here literally to like learn how to write, you know, the next like, uh, like little shop or something you know like I was the only one who was like musical theater is what I want to do and it was so funny because like some of the professors some of like the big professors there they would just sort of like combine musical theater and film score when talking about it like they would act like it was the same thing and I was totally always, I would always be like it's like I think it's very different everyone you know um, but they would just like talk about it like it's the same the same idea and so um, the the place that I really learned how to write musical theater as an undergrad, I was in my private composition lessons with this awesome uh, teacher, awesome writer named Steve Rosenhaus, who's still there. And uh, he just taught me like the, you know, the basics of, oh, this is what a chorus does. This is what a bridge does. This, you know, that, those kind of, um, you know, the cornerstones of, of, of musical theater writing, but just good songwriting. And so, you know, I find, I feel like I kind of, you know, I was sort of looking for my, my voice as a writer all throughout undergrad and also um, you know, I, uh, I was not, I was really not someone who was like anywhere near fully formed as a person in undergrad. Like when people talk about their undergrad college experiences and like, you know, like going to parties and having, you know, groups of friends and yeah. having all these transformative experiences. I just so did not have that. Like mm-hmm. that was so not me. I felt very lost. I was like very shy. I did not feel confident in, in my body, in my mind, any of that shit. And so it wasn't until grad school that I, I had like a sort of big physical transformation. Uh, I had a, a big sort of uh, mental shift about how I sort of moved about the world. And I kind of found my voice as a writer. 
you know, I found like, oh, this is the sort of stuff that I want to write. And this is the sort of way that I want to want to write. And, and the crazy thing is that when I went into NYU, it was I was really musically driven. Like it was really all about the music. And I had written lyrics in high school a little bit, but it was just to serve the music. And I kind of always assumed that one day I would kind of find the lyricist, you know, I'd partner with and, and would be, you know, half of a lyric writing team, mm-hmm. uh, half of a music, music theater writing team. And I started writing lyrics in undergrad out of necessity. Right. And then by the, the time I got to grad school, the lyrics were just as important as the music to me. And, and now that's very much the case. And it's really hard for me to separate the two. Were they supportive of you doing that? Because I know sometimes they put a big emphasis on like, no, you need to sort of specialize and collaborate with that. Yeah, you know, when I went to the program, you could be you could be accepted as either a words person or a music person. Right. But but they made a few exceptions and let and let some people uh, do both. And so I was very lucky in that I was allowed to do both. And so um, for anyone who's who doesn't know the program, it's it's a really incredible incredible program. It's just amazing. And um, you you're just writing new things each week, and you're working with different collaborators each week. And it really it it taught me how to collaborate. It taught me so much. Um, but the when and when I went there, I would I would bounce back and forth between writing lyrics and music each week. And then I would I took all of the courses that the lyricists take and all the courses that the the composers take. Since then, I believe now you have to only do one or the other. And honestly, I I feel like if I if I would have had to make that choice, I don't know if I would have gone through that program at the time. So I'm 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 eternally grateful that I was able yeah. to to do both. I think that when somebody's called to do more than one thing, it can be really phenomenal and great things come of it. I mean, certainly there are negative examples of that, but I, I don't know. I don't totally agree with the, the mentality at large of you have to specialize only in one thing. Um, cause like you, there have been so many great people who have, have done more than one very successfully. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I don't, you know, I don't know the reasons why and, 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 and in, a, in an educational study, I'm sure that people who know a lot more about it than, than myself, could explain to me the reasons why it is perhaps beneficial to receive a proper education in just one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when in my um, in my program or my year rather, um, Michael R. Jackson, he was in my my class, and he um, I, he I believe wasn't accepted as a music person, only a words person. But he wrote music because that was the thing. Like he could still, you know, just because you're accepted as one, not the other, you could still do both. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just not, you know, receiving the sort of formal training. Um, but Michael, I mean, you know, he, he wrote music and it was amazing. And like many of the songs he wrote then are in a strange loop. And, um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I, it's hard. And, but also it's hard because it's like, I'm, I feel like, yeah, there's some people who probably should only write one, but how do you you say that? You know, it's like, how do you, I I don't know. I don't know. So how did you make the jump from graduating to working in the professional world? Yeah, so I, um, I, uh, my, my story is I had this musical that was my thesis musical called The Black Suits, uh, which was the first full-length musical I ever wrote. And at the time, it, um, it was a really, it was really, really, really different from anything else that was out in the world. So this was 2005, I graduated. And so this was like uh, a a year and change before Spring Awakening was out. And so there just wasn't musicals about young people. There weren't musicals that were about, um, you know, the sort of like trials and tribulations of youth. And there certainly weren't very many musicals that had a score that felt youthful and contemporary and edgy and all that. And so um, this musical was that, and I got a lot of attention while I was still in school, like much to the eternal chagrin of my classmates. Um, and so it, uh, and so I, I graduated with the unbelievable uh, circumstance of having this show in development at a very fancy nonprofit off-Broadway theater. Awesome. And yeah, and so I had all of these people kind of swirling around me and I had a, I got an agent because of that. And, you know, all of these things that, that people 
you know, spend their whole lives trying to get, I sort of had before I was released out into the world. And it was, it was great in some ways. And it was, it was like, um, you know, uh, very, very awful in, in most other ways. Uh, but was, was that it, from these people coming to see um, workshops? Was it from teachers introducing them? Was it from you hustling and um, getting your work out? How did those connections get made while you were still a student? Yeah, you know, it was like I the um, I wouldn't call it I wouldn't call it hustling because I wasn't I wasn't aware of how to do that yeah. yet. Although, like I, I, I soon learned, but the thing that I had in school was I would play my songs for anyone, <laughs> anyone who would listen. I would play them um, for them, and at the time, it was unbelievable because I sort of like I said. You know, when I was like, when I was sitting in, in a room, you know, playing my songs for like Broadway producers who were coming in to do, you know, adjunct faculty lessons or whatever, I, a year before, I would have been like petrified to even say hello to these people. I, w- I would, you know, would have been truly mortified to, to say, hi, my name is Joe, I'm a writer, to any of these people that I was like doing full performances, you know, of my songs at the piano for. But, um, and so it was, you know, it was people who had sort of come through the program. It was like songwriter nights, just stuff where like people's work was put out there. People, you know, the few people who encountered my work all kind of immediately honed in on it because it was so different from everything else that was out there. And, you know, in retrospect, I understand, I understand why that happened. And it was just like, you know, during that time, during school, very few professional people heard my work, but the ones who did all were like, I want that, you know, mm-hmm. um, which, which again, you know, makes sense. It a- ended up um, being like really rough for me because the production never happened and it was in development for years and kind of fell apart. And then Spring Awakening came out and then all of a sudden there was yeah. a million shows like my show. And, and then it was my, and then it was like my show's time was kind of done, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was such a, it's such a weird thing because at the, at the time too, like I had black suits and then when Manuel had in the Heights and we kept, we were always like, sort of talked about together. And it was like, you know, Black Suits was like me, you know, like the story of like, you know, kids on Long Island, where I'm from. And in the Heights was the story about like, you know, kids in the Heights, where he was from. Um, and so it was really like, it was, that was the the kind of vibe back then. Um, but so, which is just to say that, that that show and that production fell apart in like a unbelievable blaze of glory that perhaps one day I'll write a book. Um, but, uh, what as that development was happening and as it was becoming clear to me that that show was not either not going to get produced or not going to get produced on the timeline that I assumed and hoped um I was like I want to do shows I want to have my work on stages and I was writing all of these standalone songs that were theater songs but but were you know sort of pop influenced and and contemporary I was like I'm writing all this material I want to just like do it for people and I and people produce shows and they do them on stages so why can't I and so I I, I figured out how to uh do you know sort of my the first thing was this show called Things to Ruin mm-hmm. which turned into Things to Ruin which is an album and it's the licensable sort of song cycle um at, when it first started it was very much just kind of it, it was a less kind of strung together more sort of theatricalized concert um, but I partnered with a theater company and we just like put it on ourselves at Ars Nova and, um, and that kind of took off. And then the more people heard my work, the more interest people had in my work. And then I started doing these, uh, concerts that now are called the, uh, Iconocent Family Concerts. Initially they were called the Rock and Roll Jamboree. Um, and that all came out of me just having material and wanting to get it in front of people and wanting to get it in front of people in a way that felt theatrical and fun. And again, like different from the things that were out there at the time, you know, I, at the time there wasn't, and this is like, you know, 2006, seven, eight, there was not a musical theater concert scene in the way that there is now. And so the the musical theater concerts that I was going to see, which I loved, uh, all felt very recital-like to me. You know, they all felt like, or it was like, there was like one of two, like some of them felt like, you know, recitals where it was like people behind music stands and they would, you know, um, it felt like overly sober events. And then it was like, like, um, like uh, what I would describe as dad rock, which was like, you know, like sort of like older, older musical theater composers who were like trying really hard to be cool 
but it just felt very uncool to me. And so yeah. I was like, I want to do something that has the like energy of a, of a rock concert that has the energy of a, of a, you know, a real people music concert, but is unabashedly theatrical and has the sort of like spirit and, you know, melody and stories and characters of like an old time sort of like Chotini cabaret. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how the, the idea was kind of, was kind of born. Um, I think it's yeah, so and, and that's really how, and yeah, no, you go, you go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so I was going to say that, 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 that my me doing you know concerts and shows and all that that is how I entered into the business you know I really thought it was going to be through the sort of conventional way of oh I wrote this musical and it's going to open off Broadway and it'll you know hopefully get a great New York Times review and then go to Broadway and then it will you know win like a couple Tony Awards and then I'll be like off my path um, that was the sort of dream and as someone who had studied musical theater since the time since he was seven years old, like I, I, I knew how you know shows like those sort of shows that I wanted to write. I knew how those shows you know needed to be received. I knew the path that they had to like go down in order for the shows and their writers to hit that next level of success. And so, um, it, when it became clear that wasn't going to happen for me for for uh, you know some time, if ever, I. I, you know, started doing these concerts and that that's how any anything that I've gotten in my my career has come out of that has come out of this this work that I've kind of, you know, put on the stages uh, without people asking me to. Well, I think it's so smart. And I think that you really have been at this in the zeitgeist of how that has all changed and how development has changed. And I remember when I was really little and I um got Audra McDonald's album where she had specifically done all songs from new and up and coming writers, which at the time were like Lacusa and Adam Gettle and whatnot. And I remember it being such a thing that she had insisted on working with writers that weren't as well known. And that's how I learned about all of these people. And that's what led me to discovering Floyd Collins and Spitfire Grill and Violet and all these other shows. My kitty wants to come and say hi. Oh, cool. She's Thank a brat, you. but she's pretty. Hey, Poppy. Look at that, that beautiful cat. <laughs> she knows it too. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was it was such this, um, just that album was such this sort of revolutionary thing in terms of how people were starting to discover shows. And then when I became familiar with what you were doing with concerts, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's such a genius. He's taking this idea and he's bringing it into the new technology and into everything else that's happening. And you did get a huge following, not just with um, the elites of the New York theater scene, but with teenagers that were discovering your songs and using them for auditions and things like that. And it always made me think of you as almost like the composer of the people in a way that you just immediately got in and connected with the grassroots um, community that you were always meant to connect with and didn't necessarily need gatekeepers to make that connection for you, which I always just thought was so smart. Um, thank you. Thank you for, for saying that. It's, you know, and I wish that that I could take credit for it being some like grand plan, but really it just, it was the most, um, you know, organic thing because for me, it really was as simple as like, I'm writing songs. I want people to hear those songs. Yeah. No one is, is giving me an opportunity to put them on a stage. So I have to like make it myself, you know? And so really yeah. it was, it was that, but I think also it's like that, you know, that impulse to just like make, it's just like about making the art that you want to make. Um, everything that's like, a, everything in art, I feel like that's a revolution. Everything that, that turns into, you know, a movement or whatever comes from that yeah. authentic place. You know, I think, I feel like very rarely does uh, some, you know, some major shift happen because you know some like smart businessmen are like behind the scenes being like how can we manipulate the <laughs> yeah. public to, you yeah. know it's like of course things like that happen and of course there's you know many many musicals and many many um pieces of art that, that are made that way but the real ones that that have a lasting impact and the real ones that change things i feel like always always come from from people genuinely just wanting to like make something that they believe in was there any, a backlash is the wrong word, but I can't think of a better one at the moment, but from the community when you started to do that in that I remember when people first started putting things on YouTube and doing concerts and things, there was a lot of, oh, you shouldn't do that because people are going to steal your work and they're not going to credit you. And, and um, 
I mean, that's still a concern. It doesn't seem to be nearly as much of a concern as it was back in the day, but were there people that were criticizing what you were doing because of things like that? Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and the, the criticism, the, the criticism about, you know, certainly the way that I did things um, and, and have continued to do things are, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. The, the biggest one, you know, in talking about the, the gatekeeper thing, this is something that I didn't, I didn't fully realize until, until Beamer Chill ended up on Broadway. Yeah. It, uh, there is a palpable sense of anger at, at me and my show from a certain sort of type of person, a certain level of person in the New York theater community yeah. um, that, that made me feel like, oh, these people are angry at me. It's not just like, it's not like, yeah. oh, you know, they're, you know, look at this like little engine that could, like that's, there's that thing where it's like, everyone's like, oh, it's a little show that could, because it really was. Um, but it's like, oh wait, no, th these people are actively mm -hmm. uh, furious at me that yeah. I have got here without, jumping through the hoops and without doing the things you are supposed to do. All the things that I have always thought I, I would one day do, but didn't happen for me, um, they're angry. And so that, that's, the, that's the thing that I think, that I, think I, I, I felt the most with some of that stuff. Um, but, you know, for sure, the, like, the thing of like having your music out there on YouTube. And I, I am like the most old school, you know, composer, writer of all time. Like I... I, I cannot even tell you, like, I, if I could, I would, I would write all of my music on a, on an old, you know, acoustic upright piano and like record my demos on like reel to reel tape. Yeah. Like I don't use any sort of computer software. I don't do anything that feels like of the, the moment or of the time. And I'm very much like, you know, oh, how you get a show on Broadway is like you, you invite a bunch of producers into a room. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. you, you play your songs and you give them money. <laughs> um, and I, I like, that's like the world that I, you know, I, 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 I um, you know, obsess over and, and have always sort of wanted to be a part of, uh, which is just to say that when all of this started, when I started doing concerts and YouTube was new, uh, everything in me was like, oh man, you can't do songs from a show before the original cast album comes out because yeah. you're going to spoil it. And it. It went against everything that felt correct to me. However, it was very apparent to me that whether I liked it or not, times were changing. Mm -hmm. And you just like, you got to go with the times, you know? And, and I felt like the way that I can, the way that I can, I can participate in this is by, is by staying true to who I am as an artist and staying true to the type of types of material that I want to write and the way I want to write it mm -hmm. and how I want it to sound and the people I want to work with. And mm -hmm. I can do that in the context of this new way that people consume media. Yeah. And, um, and so I feel like, you know, right from the beginning, I was just like, put whatever the hell you want on YouTube, cameras, 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 go crazy. Because also coming from like a, or, or being inspired by, you know, real people music, being inspired by, you know, rock shows and rock bands and everything like that. It's like, they've been, you know, rock bands have been doing that forever. Like boot trading bootlegs of rock shows has always been such a thing. And it doesn't spoil the material for people. It only makes them love it more. And so I felt like this is how, if this is the way the world is going, I'm going to look at my stuff like that. And we're just going to let it all hang out. And that's what it's going to be. And early on in my career, I gave away my music for free all the time, which I, I think piss off a lot of people, but it just, it was very clear to me that it's whether we like it or not, people were not going to be paying for things like music uh, anymore very shortly. And so yeah. it felt like I would rather have people know my stuff and, and feel a connection to me and my material. And then hopefully, hopefully they will continue to follow me and support me down the line. And it will, you know, if it's about money, it will pay off one day, yeah. but um, even if it doesn't, you know, it's just about putting the material out there and, and hopefully people will, you know, find it. Well, and it's interesting. Amanda Palmer um, has a wonderful book called The Art of Asking, where she talks about something similar about how she left her big label and um, was doing something similar and getting involved in sort of grassroots. And she was talking about how that exact sort of fear that you were describing, and it ended up being the opposite, where she would be at shows and some somebody would like walk up to her sig signature table and like hand her a twenty dollar bill and be like, "I illegally downloaded your CD from a friend." I just wanted you to have this, you know, and it, it started, it, I don't know. It was like things about the balance of getting 
remuneration for your work started to balance out. But I'm also so interested in what you were talking about, about the powers that be that seem to really hate you. I, I did my <laughs> I did a voluntary senior thesis at NYU about the discrepancy between audience and um, industry response to Broadway musicals, specifically looking at the work of Stephen Schwartz. Um, and I adore Stephen Schwartz. He's one of my favorite writers of all time. He's been a mentor of mine since I was in college. Um, his shows have gotten good reviews. He personally never has. And they're some of the cruelest things I have ever read. Like, it's not even about the art. It's like a personal vendetta. And in doing all this work, I started to really realize that it's not just about the individual people. There seems to be something in our industry where from the beginning of musical theater, commercial stuff goes over here and sort of more intellectual erudite stuff goes over here and this is valid and this is not. And there seems to be this real hatred for people that just are commercial in the sense that they are connecting with um, a, an audience that seems to be separate from sort of the powers that be. And it, it, I just find it so, I mean, you know, but you're not alone. And I just find it so fascinating that that's something that seems to have been happening from the days when it was, um, you know, vaudeville and ethnic theater versus opera and operetta. It just seems to be, I don't know, I find it a bit of a challenge in our industry, but yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you, you know, it's so, it's, it's so interesting. And it's um, the, you know, the, the crazy thing too is that there is, it's so it's so arbitrary because you know I think it's really it's really easy to look at something like um, uh, like King Kong and be like that's a commercial musical that was made by a corporation and they hired people to write it and they were they had the title King Kong and they wanted to put a lot of money into it to uh, further the brand or whatever the hell is the reason why things start. And of course people, you know, amazing artists work on that and find their, find their way in, but that's like a, you could look at it and like, that's a commercial show. That's not like yeah. a show that someone, you know, had an yeah. idea for and like wrote in their, you know, put out in the basement with their friends and whatever. Right. Um, you know, there's that, but then it's like, there are so many shows now that, that, that are like stop hits mm -hmm. that, that are so commercial. And and the the actual writing is it is is commercial and is and like you know there's I I of course I'm not gonna like name names because um, again that's like I feel like for when I'm very old but um, <laughs> you know there's like one show that came out a few years ago that's like major 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 snob hit um, earth shattering snob hit and and the writers of the show say that they were specifically writing to be commercial. They were specifically writing to, to be general and, mm -hmm. uh, and to have songs that could potentially be on the radio, whatever that right. means. And it's like that that thing, it's just so funny to me that it the, the disparity I feel like used to be more on the surface, you know? It used mm -hmm. to be more like, you know, in the days of like, uh, you know, Sweeney Todd and the Wiz, it's like right. sort of, I mean, that's that's actually, that's a bad example, but, but right. you know, it's, it, it used to be more like, oh, this is the, the, this is the snap hit and this is the commercial show. And now there's like this weird crossover and it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me and, um, and it's very strange. Yeah. So what was it like now having an agent and you had had some success and then you sort of felt like your career was a bit stalled. Did your agent do anything to help you? Were they just sort of like, I'm here to do the contract whenever that happens? Or did you have anybody that you felt in your orbit or your community that could really help you? Or did you feel like you were just sort of pounding the pavement on your own? I, um, I felt, I mean, honest, honestly, I felt kind of alone and I had mm -hmm. lots of people, I had lots of people who supported me and I had lots of people who believed in me mm -hmm. and and told me that I was great and that good things would happen and um and you know and amazing people like uh you know Kurt Deutsch and Ghostlight and um uh, lots of folks like that who were really supportive of my work but as far as like me getting the next thing as far as me getting opportunities at that the first bit of my career um it it, it really felt like it was on me yeah. to to make it happen you know, and it's and it's tricky, and I've and I've had a few different agents uh, throughout my life, and 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 um, you know, a, a couple of them have been really, really like stunningly great people. Mm -hmm. 
uh, like right now, I got this guy, Michael Finkel, uh, my last guy, Scott Chaloff, like really, really awesome, awesome agents. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's only so much they're going to do right. unless you're like, you're famous, you know, the, every time in my career, when I have had my agent do the most for me in a sort of like black and white, Oh, getting opportunities kind of way has been when everyone was talking about me. So it's like when I had the, the weeks that I had songs on Smash and the weeks that Be More Chill was really successful off Broadway and the weeks that yeah. Be More Chill went to Broadway. And so I think that's just like what it is when you're a writer. I think I only, yeah. or that's the way, that's what it is when I'm a writer, you know? It's no, like, I feel it. I feel it so much because I think, I think there's definitely a, a feeling that when you get to a certain level and you have, sort of have certain people in your corner, like, it's kind of smooth sailing. And a lot of times it's like, no, you're still out there kind of hustling by yourself and hoping that something will happen. And I wish, I wish people talked about that more because it's very frustrating. Me too. And, you know, I, you know, I think that it's I something that I struggle with, you know, constantly is just, I, I mean, it's like frustration exhaustion and jealousy. And it's, it's really hard to be like, Oh man, you know, I've, I've worked, I've worked so hard and I feel like every opportunity I've, I've gotten, I've had to like, you know, work like a dog and claw my way mm-hmm. to getting this opportunity. And, yeah. and, and it's like, doesn't it count for something? Doesn't it? Right. Doesn't it, you know, don't I get some like, you know, absolutely. Well, I think one thing it's linked to that I remember it being sort of this huge thing when I discovered it is when you get to a certain level, it's no longer about who's best at the thing. It's no longer about like, oh, whoever's the best composer is going to get the Broadway deal. It's like you get to a point, everyone's good and everybody has a unique voice and that's great. And there's room for everybody. And it really comes down to the personal preference of the people who are in a position to say yes. Like you could, this is the most random thing, but like you could write the most incredible moving earth shattering musical about bees. And if that producer is like, I hate bees, like the show's never going to (laughs) happen and it has nothing to do with the quality of it. Um, which, which I think is why self-producing and creating your own work is so wonderful, but there's so much of a stress and pressure when it comes to that too. So it's, I don't know, these are things that I feel like nobody talks about and and we should, because it feels, it starts to feel like a secret club. Like, am I the only one who realizes this frustration? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, I know, and I, I so, I so appreciate anytime I, I see any artist who I, you know, ad- admire or relate to talk about the, you know, the actual like nitty gritty of it. Um, which is just, you know, it's not to say that it's bad. It's just the way the way that it is. Yeah. I will say though that, um, you know, just in case there's anyone you know listening or or watching who's a who's like a, a younger person who's listening to this and be like, oh my god, why would I ever want to do this? <laughs> Um, it's, you know, the, the agent stuff, it's like, it's all, the agents are all helpful, but I, you know, in my career, I've been, I feel like the most helped by, um, people in the business, be yes. they like, you know, sparkly people or just hardworking people or whatever, who believe in me, who have like, who have vouched for me or put me forward for things or called me or, you know, and so it's like, it's, there's, there are, you know, there's, there's, there's so many ways to do the thing and it's, and it's, um, you know, and I've, I've been very lucky and I've had a lot of people who have, you know, supported me, even if that doesn't mean, you know, someone calling me and, and being like, oh, you know, Disney wants you to write, uh, right. you know, Pocahontas too. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The theater community really is a community and it's, it's so remarkable and special. And there have been people that have mentored me out of the goodness of their heart. There have been people who have helped me in various ways that had no, nothing to benefit by it, but just like somebody had helped them. So they wanted to pass it forward. So I think the community is really special. And that, that makes me think of your wonderful friendship with Jen Tepper, um, who I know as well. Um, how did that start? How did your friendship with her start in your collaboration? My friendship with Tepper started uh, because she was just someone who like came to shows a lot. You know, she came to, she came to my gigs at the Beachman Theater Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, on 42nd Street uh, in the West Bank Cafe. And and that was sort of like the first spot that Iconist and Family like did runs of shows. That's where we kind of like learned how to, to do this. Uh, and she would just come all the time. And I met her through that, you know, and I um, always thought she was super cool, super smart. And she 
I, you know, I mean, it's kind of, it's the ultimate, like the rest is history. You know, I've, I've met so many people through work and whether that's like, you know, actors or musicians or, um, or, you know, people behind the scenes or in the audience, um, it is like, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, 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 I'm, I'm so sorry. I just, I was getting, I was getting texts and it like literally made my brain go away. Okay. Technology is terrible. Technology I know it's like awful. all the notifications pop up no matter what you do. It was a literally, it was literally something about assassins. Someone texted me about assassins. I have no idea about what. It was like a musical theater emergency. I need, you to, need you to see this. Oh my gosh, assassin. I want, I want a TV show now called Musical Theater Emergency about like the, the equivalent of the Justice League, but for like musical theater people that just have to sit by. <laughs> yeah, I'm living it, man. Um, but so at any rate, at any rate, I've met so many people through that. And so that's how it was with Pepper. And uh, we just immediately connected and she's a, you know, she's just a like-minded artist, a like-minded person. And, and, you know, before she was like producer Jen Pepper, she was producing my stuff. We were concocting shows and, and, you know, insane, you know, performance things and opportunities and videos. And yeah. And so, um, you know, she, she was one of the lead producers on, on Be More Chill on Broadway. And it's like, and, and by the time Be More Chill got to Broadway, we had been working together for, you know, 10 years up yeah. until that point, you know, just making stuff on our own. And um, yeah, and she's just the absolute uh, greatest. And, you know, and sort of like me, she's someone who she's from, she's from Florida. Uh, and, uh, you know, she didn't grow up with family who is in the business. And, yeah. and I think there's just something to that, just because there are so many great theater legacies, you know, mm -hmm. there's so many people in this business who sort of come from a long line of theater people. Um, and there's so many people in this business, especially in New York, who are like, you know, oh, their father was so-and-so and they're, you know, and like everybody went to Yale. And, and <laughs> it's sometimes as like a, as like a, as an outsider, it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard sometimes to imagine yourself in that world or yeah. you immediately start thinking like, oh, do I need to like have that? Do I, should I have been, you know, should I have been born into a different family so that- Oh no, I, can, I feel, you know, I feel I that because there starts to be, be a point where like, it's going to take me all this work just to get in the physical room that these people just have been walking in all their lives. Um, yeah, yeah. You know. And it's, and that's, and that's such a hard thing. It's so tricky. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so I think that Tepper sort of has that as, as well, that we came to this, 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 you know, art form when we came to this world, because we just love it so much, yeah. you know? Uh, and uh, yeah. And she's just like the absolute, greatest and I feel so lucky that I have her as a collaborator and also you know the other thing too to that I um especially in the last like you know uh, year whatever year and a half um for obvious reasons there's I feel like there's been so much talk of producers and people talk about producers like there are these um I feel like every time I hear a conversation about producers uh producers equal greedy old white men who are probably abusive. And while there are plenty of greedy old yeah. white men who are probably abusive in the business, the reality is that like the word producer can mean so many different things mm -hmm. and they come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, Jen Tepper, who's like, you know, my favorite producer yeah. is someone who is not, you know, she's not wealthy. She doesn't have access to unlimited yeah. sources of money. Her producer uh, mm -hmm. skill set is about dramaturgy. It's about marketing. It's about, you know, creating a family atmosphere. It's like, and yeah. so, um, yeah, it's just, and I, I love being able to work with, with her and other producers who I work with, who I love, um, who I consider friends, you know, mm -hmm. who I don't think of as like, you know, greedy, evil, right. money grubbing bosses, you know? Yeah. So speaking of your collaboration, tell me a little bit about Be More Chill and what that whole experience was like for you. Cause I would imagine it was, a little bittersweet in that you got like your dream of having a show finally on Broadway after, you know, many years where you deserve to, and just, you know, struggling. And then it had this sort of mixed reaction. Um, but this deep, deep love from so many people, what was that all like for you? Yeah. The, you know, the, the journey of it was so, so unexpected and so kind of, you know, thrilling. Yeah. And also, um, as you said, impossibly, <laughs> impossibly yeah. hard. Um, and, but, you know, like I said before, I really, truly, my whole life, 
up until Toby Marchill had this idea of for a show like the sort of shows that I want to write to make it to Broadway, it had to check off all of these things. And, um, and, you know, Be More Chill, when we had our premiere at Sioux River Theater in New Jersey in 2015, it, 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 you know, it immediately failed the number one thing, which is for a, a little show, you need a, a great New York Times review in order to propel you forward. Unless I'm, you're- I'm shocked that that's still as much of a thing as it is. Cause it seems like it, yeah. It's just it. It's like it's un- unless unless you are like um, unless you're based on a movie and you have a, a movie company either like outwardly producing or secretly producing, which they right. love to do now, um, or you have a famous person in it, or you know, unless there's something else, then that's the exception. But for like a little a little show that is not made by famous people, but that doesn't have a have a path already, it's just like it's it's very black and white. I would actually love to see literal statistics about that yeah. because I I know what they would look like without actually doing it it's yeah. like pretty right there but um uh but so at any rate and it's and it's and it's something it's so hard to talk about because it's impossible to talk about it and not seem ungrateful or like sour grapes but it's 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 it, it's it's black and white as you know so my show opens right the New York Times decides to come they don't have to come they decide to come yeah. Uh, and they decide to have, at the time, Charles Isher would review it, right? And so Charles Isher would review it and says, it's a piece of shit. Totally fine. He didn't like it. Fine. Then immediately, any producer, any theater who has tickets booked to see it, they cancel. And it's just like, uh, I've been through this so many times. It's, that's just what happens. And I, I, I agree that it's like, how on earth are we yeah. still... <laughs> Are we still doing this? Yeah. But like we are black and white. Well, and honestly, so- it, just so you know, it doesn't seem like sour grapes or anything to me. I think I'm so grateful that you're talking about it. And I think it's so important because the truth of the matter is every single show that ever has been there, there's a different story, but there are deeply rooted frustrations that make the thing a little bittersweet. I'm reading James Lapine's book on the creation of Sunday in the Park with George right now. And just the mm-hmm. number of things about like actors quitting and sending like hate letters about James Lapine to Sondheim and then like Mary Rogers trying to like undermine the whole it's like there's no such thing as like a smooth sailing thing and I think it's important especially for young artists to realize like oh all these frustrations I have they're never going away and we should just embrace (laughs) it because they're gonna be there (laughs) yeah it's all it's all part of it it's all very exciting and it sucks but it's there so (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. So yeah. At any rate, with be more chill. You know. So when we closed at in in New Jersey, I had no reason to believe we would ever ever do that show again. Yeah. Uh, and I I I tried. I tried so hard for you know actively probably for a year and a half trying to get any producer interested, trying to get another regional production, trying to get anything with that show. And no one truly, nobody wanted anything to do with it. It was like, a, like zero. I had, I had no zero interest um, for pushing, pushing, pushing. Jen Tepper did it as a concert, as part of a series of new musicals at 54 Below. Um, from that, uh, RNH came to see it and they were like, oh, this is great. We should license this. So they licensed the show and it sort of just was available for licensing when it kind of all exploded. And it exploded, you know, because of the cast album literally two years later, two years after we closed. Wow. And, and that, you know, um, as I've talked about a lot, that the viral sort of, you know, success of the show is what, uh, is what, you know, allowed us to go to a couple producers and truly, truly only a handful. Um, uh, like, you know, I, I had, I had, you know, less than, less than four, more than two meetings about, about doing a production of Humor Chill. And, um, and, and we did it, you know, at the signature that summer and, and the sort of mania surrounding that production uh, and, you know, the ticket sales was the thing that allowed us to, to go to Broadway. And I, I truly, truly, truly did not believe that we would get there. And, you know, once we were about to open at the signature, it, I, w- when we opened at the signature, I tried so hard to not think about what happens next, right? Because I, at that point, it had been um, like eight years since I had any show in New York City at all. The last show before... Show what I had in New York City was Blood Song of Love. And I kept being like, I just want to do a show 
in the place where I live, you know, like that would be yeah. really cool. Off, off Broadway, anything. And so uh, this was so exciting that this was happening in New York City. But, you know, as soon as it started, everyone then was like, what do you think is happening next? What's happening next? Right. And I kept being like, I'm not going to think about it because I just want to enjoy these 10 weeks and be like, this is exciting that my show is in New York City. Yeah. And um, and then, then, you know, and it's just like, this is, I, you know, I was talking about it. Then everyone is like, like, oh, if that Times review is good, if the Times review is good, okay. this could like, this could go. And so then again, I was like, oh my God, how is this happening again? How is this like, the thing that I'm having to deal with again with this show. Yeah. Um, but it, but of course, I'm like, you know, and so, and so, and so it, it felt like everyone was waiting for that review and the review came out and it was another terrible review, a brand new terrible oh review for my show written by it, written by uh, Grant Lee this time. Oh and um, had the show changed much between the two productions? A ton. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, a ton in that, like, it changed in a way that, like, musical theater writers would be like, it changed so much. And, like, anyone else would, you know, would probably right. be like, I think there were some differences. It's but not I mean, like it was suddenly songs. set in the 1800s or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. The show, the show is the show. And, yeah. um, but it's, you know, it was, the production was different. It was different, but, you know, different cat, like, whatever. But, yeah. um, uh, but we got that, that fucking review and it was, it was like, it, I, it truly felt like a funeral. And the, the yeah. opening night party for Off Broadway, it, it was like as bad that, it was as bad as people coming up to me and literally saying, I'm so sorry. Oh On gosh. the opening night, truly. Like, I didn't have to explain themselves. Didn't have to explain themselves. Like, it was so like, oh, what a bummer. And so that happened. And I was just like, this is it. This is, I'm just, I guess, at the mercy of this this paper that doesn't seem to like me very much. And, yeah. um, and, and the only person literally the only person who did not do that to me uh on opening night was jennifer ashley tepper mm -hmm. and she the she said to me um uh she said we're not doing this we're not doing this we got this we're just not doing this yeah. meaning we're not doing the thing we're like our show's gonna close right. because of this review right. and i was like okay if you say so and she yeah. was like no 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 we're not doing this sorry not gonna happen and um, and sh and I it I can't tell you like what it meant to me in that moment. And then you know a month later or something when or I guess a few weeks later when I found out that we were what we were going to go to Broadway, it honestly felt like this is the thing that I needed. No matter what happens with the show, this is the thing that I needed to get me through the next probably fifteen years of my life. Yeah. Because it honestly felt like a miracle because it was because yeah. every single thing that I thought I needed to do in order to get to that place with the show did not happen. And every step of the way, some sort of surprising out of the blue thing happened. Like the fact that so many people discovered the musical, which is all I ever want anyway, which yeah. is why I want to you know, be on on, on Broadway, I want like the maximum amount of human beings to, to experience these things that I write because I'm writing them for people to experience and then to, to experience them. The fact that so many people found it for no reason, for found it where there was no production running. They just found the music and fell in love with it. And that was the thing that got us on the stage in the first place. And then people's loving it was the thing that got us to the next stage yeah. was just something that I truly never ever in a million years thought could happen and it did. Well, and very well deserved. I'm so glad that that happened. And I think it's a, it's, it's the kind of story that we need in this industry because it's also, you know, that audiences have power and that they're important and the things that matter and move us, like that's valuable. And we don't necessarily need somebody else to affirm that or not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so weird because it's like my own show, but it, it gives me hope, you know, like the way it happened. Cause also I was, it's one of those things where if I, if I, if I wasn't, if it wasn't my show, I don't think I'd believe it. I think if right. it wasn't my show, I would look at it and be like, there's some company that we don't know about who had money in, in that <laughs> show. And they were get, trying to get a tax write off. I would make a million excuses for yeah. how it ended up on Broadway, but it's like, I was there. It didn't, it was, it yeah. was, it ended up there like for real, like the way the story went, you know? And I and saw it and um, the crowds, I mean, the crowds were, went crazy. I mean, it was like a rock concert. They loved it. And they it loved it before crazy. they even walked in the door, which was amazing. I know. And you know, it's so strange that that also is the thing that like I, that me and like people who have been, you know, 
who have been uh, following me or performing with me, uh, you know, for years, or just who people who people who like me um, were so amazed by that. And so, like, this is nuts that yeah. these like kids are singing. You know, they know show tunes before they're yeah. walking in the theater. Um, and that thing of like everyone who loved it loved it before they walked in the door infuriated mm -hmm. the other sort of people that we have been talking about it infuriated right. them and i mean and you like see it it's in the it's in all of the reviews of the show the, the audience of yeah. my show was reviewed just as much yeah. as my show um which is a joke in a in a in a in a commercial theater space where half the things on the fucking stages are jukebox musicals where right. people are no one talks about the you know no one talks talks about the the you know the bridge and tunnel crowd singing along to jersey right. boys but it's like young kids loving yeah. new musical theater actual show tunes yeah. for the show were like made fun of in the new york times which is mind-blowing well, to me but i think it's also so great that because of you and the way that you have um had your material out there for your whole career, it offers a way for people to discover it. Cause I mean, there's, there's nothing worse than being a musical theater loving kid who is not New York adjacent. And you can't see, it's like, you can't just go see the show you want to, but you know, it used to be that you would just cling to the Tony awards and like that one number you would just like relive and forever. And, but now it's, it's a way to make it accessible in, in a, Great way, because the thing that makes Broadway so special and unique is you have to go there to experience it, you know, and not everybody is able to do that. So I don't I don't see a drawback to people discovering things and loving them however they can. Yeah, same. So um, what do you think has continued your whole career to draw you to writing these kinds of stories about young people and teenagers and coming of age? Because um, you found this great niche that you have such a strong voice for and obviously such a passion for what do you think has continued to bring you back to those kinds of stories oh you know i think that i i just really like writing young characters because i love um i love the fact that young people in general uh don't they have not yet learned how to build up build the walls up that we just naturally sort of learn as 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 adults and as older people. Um, so I feel like there's a there's an honesty and an openness there, and I feel like their um, the vocabulary is just different. I like writing writing younger characters. I feel like sometimes it's like just writing in a foreign language. You know, it's still it's they have it, they have the the same you know the same thoughts and ideas or whatever as as you know as as adults. They're just you know phrased in a different way and the the access to words isn't maybe always there and so i just really i just really you know respond uh to to that and i i love i love writing characters who like aren't jaded you know and and i love dealing in worlds that it's not about people being jaded um so yeah so i think that's it but um you know i've also written so many shows and i've written so many songs and i've you know i have like shows like broadway bounty hunter where the you know the the lead actor is is a, is a woman in her late 60s mm -hmm. and um and and so i you know I, I feel like as much as i i write for young people i i, I kind of you know run the gamut i think yeah. that people just kind of know 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 my my right. stuff for young people more <laughs> than the other how for you um does writing for something that you've created, you, you've had the initial spark and it's been your idea differ from when you get commissions, like to write something for Smash where it's, you know, you have some freedom, but it's like, we need a song that sort of fits in this slot and is about this thing. Um, what was that like for you when you started doing that and how has that differed? Yeah, you know, I've been lucky in that um, the, uh, pretty much all of the stuff, all of the stuff I've, I've written whether it's a totally original idea or something that I've been, you know, kind of hired to write, mm -hmm. um, it's all stuff that I that I feel completely, uh, completely sort of represented by. It all feels really personal to me. I'm not good when I'm like faking it. You know, like I'm not good if I can't find a way into the material. I'm not a writer who can just like, you know, whip out a a, a song uh for for some quick bucks like i have to really connect the material in order to like make it happen which is just to say that you know i've i've you know the work for hire stuff like anytime i've i've written like a spec song for a, a big movie they're turning into a musical 
Um, I've only ever done that if I really felt like I could write this show and it would be something that would feel as personal and real and authentic to me as an idea that I came up with myself. Um, and so, you know, even the Smash songs, like I, both of those tunes of mine that were on Smash, like I had written them previously. They were standalone songs that just ended up, ended up getting used on the show. And I, you know, I, 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 I wrote a few others for that show that ended up not getting used. And I think that's just because there's just something, it's like, you can just sniff it out. I feel like when I'm writing something and I'm not fully in, invested in it, or not even fully invested, when I'm writing something that I think is the, the sort of thing that other people want to hear as opposed to me just writing for myself. It's just, it sounds, it sounds like a fake version of myself, you know, or it's like that me doing that, there are a million other people who could do that thing so much better, which is why I feel like so many of like the songs that I've ever, I've ever written that I don't feel totally connected to don't ever really see the light of day because mm -hmm. if someone's going to pay for them, they're like, I'm not paying for that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Give me one of the good ones. Yeah. This is my favorite question to ask. Um, what's a question you've always wanted to be asked in an interview that you never have? And how would you answer it? Oh my God. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> question I've, I've always wanted to be asked. Oh man. Mm. You don't have to. Maybe. Have That's like the... Um, that's that's like the what would you say to your younger self oh, question. Gosh. I just yeah. don't I don't I I can't answer it because it's like yeah. I don't I don't know you know it's like I I don't I wouldn't know the answer to like what question do I wish I was asked in an interview until like someone asked it. That's true. So, I find sometimes yeah. that in in certain kinds of interviews people tend to get asked the same kinds of questions over and over and over again, and sometimes it can get a little tiring. <laughs> But um, I guess as we're wrapping up, what what um, what are your future goals for continuing into the future? What are what are you most proud of that you've done so far, and um, what should so we sorry, be on the lookout for? And how can we support you? Um, you know, I think that um, I think that my you know my my future goals are just to keep making um, specific honest to goodness musical theater you know I want to just keep I want to keep making shows that I believe in yeah um I haven't I haven't yet uh done like a, a sellout show um mm -hmm. meaning like I haven't like I haven't sold out um and and I don't I don't know if I will but maybe I will mm -hmm. but I my my dream is to like keep finding stages for musicals uh, that I write that I that I care about and that yeah. I stand behind and I've been so lucky that, you know, whether it's like a show that I've done on Broadway or a show that I've, I've done in the, you know, a 50 seat basement theater somewhere in the middle of America, I really can stand behind everything I've written. Uh, and I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud of the fact that my stuff has connected with actual human beings who, some of whom love theater, some of whom are introduced to theater through my stuff. And that's the thing that I just continually cannot get over the fact that there are people out in the world who like, who know my songs and who like them and who find any kind of inspiration in them. Mm -hmm. um, it just like blows my mind. And so everything, you know, sort of like what I said before, like everything that I do is in service of that. Like, I just want, I just want to reach the largest number of human beings possible with this, this stuff that I believe in. And if I could do anything to make anyone you know, whether it's like young people or, you know, people who might normally turn their noses up at musicals into musicals. Cause I just think it's like, I think, you know, musical theater is the best thing going. Yeah. Um, then I, I feel like I'll, you know, I'm, I'm succeeding. I'm doing that. And how can we follow you on social media? You can follow me on all of the, the platforms, Mr. Joe Iconis, M-R-J-O-E-I-C-O-N-I-S. I'm even on TikTok. Nice. Which, um, yeah, which I it, it's like the ultimate. Um, that's I guess that's like the um, that's the new dad rock. Mm -hmm. Guys, my age being on TikTok, but I am. So I'm trying to stay current <laughs> and connect however I can. So yeah, so follow me and like listen to my stuff. And I don't know if yeah. if I'm playing at a theater near you, please um, go see me. Yeah, and my gang. Have you been doing any virtual things or virtual concerts during the pandemic? 
You know, I've done a few. We're um, uh, my friend George Salazar and I are going to do the our. We have a two man cabaret uh, called Two Player Game. We're going to do it at Einstein Sixty Four Below uh, here in the city uh, in a couple weeks, and we're going to live stream it. And so, uh, if you do not happen to live in New York City and uh, you still care about theater, uh, <laughs> you should totally buy that live stream, and you can watch it. And it's our first like sort of live proper live stream thing. Um, and so that'll be that'll be that'll be cool. I haven't done a ton of it. Um, just because I'm so like obsessed with being in the room, yeah. uh, with, with other, you know, other humans. But now that, now that we're like coming back to it, uh, and now that we're, now that we're able to like actually do live performances again, I find myself more excited about like live streaming and about like doing the stuff that people have been doing for the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to be here. You're amazing. Um, everybody, if you don't know Joe's incredible work, please go out and get all of his albums and um, learn about it. And for those of you who do keep supporting and thank you, please keep us posted on how you're doing and what's new. It's been delightful. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great.